Welcome to Jyotish Conversations. I'm Ben Collins. This is a series of programs presented by Pujanet, P-U-J-A dot N-E-T, your Vedic resource on the web. Each show in the series presents an aspect of Jyotish or Hindu astrology in simple terms so that the depth of this knowledge can be appreciated by anyone. In this week's show, Penny Farrow brings together the planets, or grahas, the houses, or bhavas, and the signs, or rashis, in a way that starts to show the Jyotish chart as a cohesive whole, and then forms the basis for systematic interpretation. Well, good afternoon, Penny. What are we going to talk about today? Well, last time we talked about uh, the grahas, and how to... um, think of their meanings in a more creative way. You know, how to use the three means of gaining knowledge that the tradition sanctions and uh, apply that process to a core um, sense of the graha derived from the descriptions in, in the agama, from the inferences, from one's observation. And from there, being able to encounter everything in your world in terms of what graha would represent that. It's really a fun way to live, as I mentioned, makes makes the whole thing come alive. Yeah. And the grahas are, of course, one of the the hugest pieces in our uh, in our Jyotish uh, kaleidoscope, our cosmic kaleidoscope, because they're the active they're the active ingredient. The uh, the star groups, the Rashis, they're not active. They're the fixed stars that form the background. They look like they're active because the rising signs change every two hours, but that's because we live on a graha. Yeah, right, 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 right. <laughs> and that graha is active. <laughs> it's rotating on its axis and and uh, and causing both the phenomena of bhavas and Rashis. So we could say that really the. Um, uh, Grahas are the actors in the play, and the bhavas, in certain ways, are the sets mm-hmm. of the play, the context for the roles that the grahas are going to uh, bring forward. And then the rashis, in some way, uh, maybe they're the lights of the set. We'll have to think of, of how to think of the rashis and, and mm-hmm. maybe the lighting, special effects <laughs> of the set for that right. play. Right. So I thought today what we should do is talk some about the bhavas. Bhavas uh, have all kinds of classifications. It's the, as did the grahas, as we saw, you could think of them every single insect you could classify as one of the nine grahas, although insects in general are Rahu Ketu uh, and, and the moon, actually, many-legged creatures. Um so the bhavas, too, not to be outdone, have all kinds of significations and all, also classifications that that um, come forward in a kind of functional way. Mm-hmm. So let's start with the classifications uh, based on a concept we already have talked about, which is the concept of kindras. When we look at the mapping of a horoscope, we made a big deal uh, in the North Indian chart especially about the fact that the kindras were uh, distinguished very particularly by 
having about twice as much area as the other directions. So if we recall when we're uh, when we're mapping, we clearly mark even in the South Indian chart, we clearly mark where is the east, where is the west, where is the north, where is the south. And the reason for that, as I mentioned then, is that the Shastra tells us that those are places where the grahas have a certain amount of uh, pep, <laughs> shakti, mm-hmm. right, right, right. certain amount of energy. They make their influence known. And one of the reasons for that, we'll hopefully get into a little more today, is any graha that's in the uh, any one of those kendras is going to wind up either influencing the nature of the person very directly or is going to influence their primary and essential activities. One or another or both mm-hmm. will get dr- dramatically influenced by agraha. And this is one of the reasons that the, the kendras are powerful because they tie into those themes. Uh, but even in terms of the uh, concept, it's kind of um, there's some intuitive sense that if you're aligned to the cardinal directions, and all traditions talk about this. I think we mentioned that. Uh, and in Vastu, you know, in the in the Indian uh, tradition of uh, creating the right space for the right uh, the right container for the right object, um, if we want to objectify ourselves. The right container is our house, and we want our house to support the essence of who we are, and then we want to contribute good jujus to our house. We want it to be a mutual thing. So this idea of um, you know one's place in space is very important, and in Vastu, there is um, the tradition of building in alignment to the magnetic uh, cardinal directions. Mm-hmm. So that carries over. What's true in the Vedic Sampradaya in one um, of the Vidyas tends to be true, uh, even though we may be talking about a different reference point. Um, that's part of that uh, discussion I was having the last time about if you know certain principles, you could wind up using them in so many different contexts. Uh, so this is one of those things that a fundamental truth in um, in the Vedic Sampradaya is utilizable in all of its branches. Well, I, I, I'll just just to throw something in from my experience um, at the beginning of the fire ceremony in a yagya called homam, mm-hmm. um, they they invoke the the directions. Absolutely. And there's there's a very specific procedure of recognizing them and it you know you're right i mean it's it's to call upon that strength mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and also to put oneself into the right place and time exactly. so as you know they not only invoke the four directions but they invoke the grahas and where they are that day yes and uh and the mountain ranges that are around and you know they they create the right vastu they create the right container for the ceremony to take place in. It's so deep. It's so beautiful. It's so tied together. It's really amazing. Here we are, two Westerners, that have somehow had the enormous grace and privilege to have a peep into this tradition. It kind of bowls me over every time. 
Okay, so back to our our chart. So there is something about those uh, about those four directions, and they're named kindras, the angles, and angles also are places where two things come together, right, to fight to form an angle. And the other thing that's also true about the kindras is they're in a way the turning point. You know, uh, you're sort of building up to one direction, you're in that direction, and then as soon as you leave that kindra, it it turns, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. It becomes, uh, it, it starts to move into a different direction. So there's a dynamism as well uh, to the to the kindras, and so they become extremely uh, important um, bhavas, and they are uh, associated with Lord Vishnu. They're called Vishnu Sthanas, uh, the, the places of Lord Vishnu. And we know Lord Vishnu to be the sustainer of uh, life, so to speak. This is, this is the pillar, the pillars of our life in, uh, in the relative, we could say. And the four kendra meanings represent that really beautifully. So, for example, the first bhava is the pillar of our body, right? Our, uh, you know, our actual physical body and our ahankara, our personality and our ability to operate in the world. So that's one pillar. The fourth bhava, the second kendra, is the pillar of our ancestors, we could say. It's the it's our DNA. It's what has structured us. And it's our sukha, our our way of having good space. And in fact, good space is vastu. It's one of the ingredients of good vastu is that one has adequate space, good space. And it's not just happiness. It gets um, translated as happiness. But that's a fairly superficial. I mean, when you when you're happy, you've got good space. But this is the the proper accoutrements of life: a good house, a good conveyance, a good education, and these are all the um, uh, attributes. A good mother. <laughs> no, right? You know? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> a good well, genes, mm-hmm. right? Good genes. Good, you know, good DNA. A good family line. A good lineage. Because we stand on the shoulders of our ancestors, don't we? Sure. And so uh, this is what the fourth bhava represents. And then the seventh bhava, in terms of pillars of our life uh, in the samsara, represents all others with whom we deal. So the other, um, the public, and most significantly the partner, who for most people, you know, living the normal course of life with the biological imperative to marry and procreate, um, this is the pillar that represents the partner. And then the fourth pillar, um, the last kendra, the south direction, the tenth bhava, becomes um, our primary and essential activities. Our karmas. Not our karma pala, not the results of karma, but our actions. And that, and, and, and every, in the public place where everybody sees us, our status, our reputation, and often the karmas are uh, expressed in terms of career, but they don't have to be. 
you know, people that don't work have primary and essential activities also. So sometimes we look at the 10th house too superficially. So those are our kendras, the, the stanas of Lord Vishnu. Then, if and I'm working with the North Indian chart simply because it's easier to see this, Ben, but mm -hmm. these relationships are true in the South Indian chart as well. Then if you look at the North Indian chart, you're maybe compelled, maybe you will be after I point this out, that there's a big old equilateral triangle that runs from, um, you know, from the very tippy top where the east is, uh, diagonally down, uh, and then over, and then back up again for houses one, five, and nine. I don't remember whether or not we numbered the houses the last time out. Um, I don't remember if we did or not. But if not, let me just go through very quickly. The four kindras represent Baba's number one, number four, which is the north, number seven, which is the west, and number ten, which is the south. And then the intermediate houses are numbered accordingly in a counterclockwise direction. So it, in the uh, upper uh, left side of the first bhava would be uh, the second bhava. And then the third bhava would be the triangle that points in with its base on the left side of the chart. That would be number three. And then the fourth house, as I mentioned, and then we can all number around from there. Right. So the fifth house, the ninth house, and the first house are the houses that would form, or babas, that would form this equilateral triangle that I'm talking about. And they're given a special designation in the tradition. They're called the trikona houses, uh, three angles. And those are the stanas of Lakshmi. And Lakshmi is, of course, known for giving prosperity, but it's way more than prosperity. It's grace, punyam, mm -hmm. actually. Mm -hmm. And so, especially the fifth and ninth, because as we could see, the lagna does double duty. It's both a kindra, being the eastern direction, and a trikona, being part of this big equilateral triangle. Uh, so, even more so five and nine, are known as the houses of punya, or grace. Grace coming from past lives, grace in this lifetime. These are the gifts of goddess Lakshmi. And so Vishnu is the uh, lords over the uh, kindras, the houses of action, and Lakshmi over the trikonas, the houses of grace. So these are very positive houses. And if you kind of look at the fifth house and the ninth house, you kind of see, you can see the diagonal line, almost like the uh, head of an arrow going right up to the lagna. Mm -hmm. And that particular zone, five, four, one, and nine, ten, one, you see what I'm sort of meaning? Those two diagonal lines that come up and meet at the left sure. corner of the tent. Right. Uh, that is a very auspicious zone in the horoscope. And some may say, but isn't the Kendra number seven, isn't that as well? It is, but it has a little um, taint, we could say, that we'll talk about shortly. So in this classification that I'm uh, going through, we could say that the Kendras and the Triconas represent very uh, collections of thematic material 
that on the whole um, gives the kinds of uh, results in life, providing that the grahas that are in them behave themselves. <laughs> Uh, the thematic material that people would more or less like to see come forward in their lives. But do bear in mind that every bhava has um, good thematic material and some that's more challenging. I sound like a Californian rather yes. than bad, right? Right, <laughs> right, right. Californian would, would say it. <laughs> uh, and also when we come to the houses that have more of a preponderance of challenging material or inauspicious results, they too have their good side. So it's not like everything's one way or another. Now, what's, well, I'll get to that in just a second. So here we are with the, there are four um, kendras and there are three trikonas, but actually we've only covered six houses since the um, uh, Lugna. Lugna. Right, double, double duty. Okay. Right. Okay. So now, what do we do with some of these other uh, bhavas? Well, there's a designation given to Bhavas 3, 6, 8, and 12. They're known as Dustana, Dustanas. And Duhu or Dukkha um, is uh, a prefix uh, that stands for suffering. And Stana is a place. So you noticed all along we said Lakshmi Stana. Vishnu Stana, Dustana. So this is, um, as you can kind of put together with mm. Sanskrit compound, uh, it are places of suffering. And what Shastra is conveying to us through uh, a device of um, exaggeration, hyperbole, this is something that's going to be the theme of a little series of lectures coming up at some point soon, mm-hmm. Um they're conveying to us that the majority of the thematic material associated with these bhavas is not what we would like to predominantly encounter in our lives. Although, even in this case, we cannot be too simple-minded. If the sixth bhava represents health issues, which it does, it's one of the places in accidents, and a person is a doctor, if they have a very well-placed six bhava, a very nicely uh, tenanted six bhava, that might be one of the reasons. So one could either have these things show up in their life in a way that isn't useful, or they may be able to profit by the themes represented by those bhavas. So there's unfortunately a very knee-jerk response sometimes uh, when people look at charts or look at their own and think that something terrible is about to happen in their life because they've got a graha in some of these um, stanas, and it turns out that it serves them very well. So even as I categorize this, the last thing I want people to do is to go running to their charts and uh, terrorize themselves. Now, of these four dustanas, the third bhava is a mild dustana. There are some themes um, that uh, can be a little challenging, but not nearly as much. So I do want to point that out. There's a lot of very positive things in the third bhava, but it, as because it's a reflection house 
from the eighth bhava. And what I mean by that is uh, there is a principle in Jyotisha that you they love counting. They do all these cool things by counting this many from this the place and that many from this place and doing all this anumana. They do a lot of derivation. And so I'll kind of illustrate that in this particular instance that if you count from the eighth bhava, which represents challenging themes, such as longevity and transition or lack of longevity. And if you count around to the third bhava, you find that you go eight away. So in a sense, we could think of the third bhava as eight away from the eighth, and therefore, in some sense, reflects some of the similar themes. Mm -hmm. That's kind of how this works and why um, there may be some sense that the third bhava is challenging. And then it does have challenging themes in and of itself, the dissolution of property, uh, death of the parents. So there are some things about it that you know aren't as um, uplifting as lots of money, lots of success. Yeah, right. <laughs> <clears throat> the messy details of life. Yes, the messy ones. However, there's still there there are predominantly um, uh, very positive things in the third bhava. So it is a dustana, but it's less um, intense. And because and and actually shastra very much marks that uh, when you look through, they're almost always talking about three places that are difficult, and they call them the trikstanas. The three places, the three, mm -hmm. and those are six, eight, and twelve. So those are the ones that have, you know, some teeth in them, in terms of being more intense when it comes to delivering thematic material that could be challenging. But once again, it also can be thematic material that one benefits by uh, if the chart is so constructed. So now we've covered all of our. 12 bhavas, and let's do a little review before I add a little more decoration. So the first bhava is both a kendra and trikona, and both of those are positive houses. And therefore, in even another way, uh, we now have the sense of the importance of that beginning of the chart. You know, it marks the the entry of the new soul into the into this incarnation and the idea that it's the seed for the whole rest of the chart and as it as that lagna is strong or not the person's ability to utilize what's in the rest of the chart uh, will be strong or not will be enabled or not and here we see yet another way in which this lagna is marked it's marked as a stana of Lord Vishnu, as a kendra, very active. Um, and it's marked as a trikona, uh, a stana of Goddess Lakshmi, something that could give us grace and punya and rise in life. The second bhava, as a kendra or a trikona, it's not a dustana, it's not a place of suffering, and it doesn't have another designation that I will bring forward. In a sense, the second and the eleventh share a certain common theme. They're both associated with dhana. They're both associated with money. The second bhava in the sense of accumulated money, like, like uh, net worth, the bank account, we could say. 
the 11th more in a sense of uh, easy money, money that comes as gifts, as, uh, as, as income, but copiously, this kind of easy money. So they do share that common theme. They both have, not in, this is not in common, but they both have a certain other designation that, uh, that I'll bring forward at this point. The second bhava, along with the seventh bhava, uh, has a designation known as madaka, a madaka stana. So once again, that word stana. So madaka is uh, a word that is associated with, uh, with death. Uh, death inflicting or pain inflicting in a different way than the dustanas and the the way this comes about is we look at the house of longevity which is the eighth bhava and then the eighth from the eighth the third bhava and those two stanas the second and the seventh wind up being twelve from the other two respectively. So let's look at the seventh to just understand that. So if we kind of, in a North Indian chart, put our finger on the eighth bhava and then count around, we would find that the seventh bhava is 12 away. And if we do the same, a third bhava and count around, then we, then we would find that the second bhava is 12 away. And the count is counterclockwise. That's how we count. Uh, so they have this special designation. Now, once again, this makes people nervous and scared and you know terrorized. And this all has to do with um, uh, longevity calculations. It's not like every time something's in the seventh bhava, something happens. You know, this is this is just a point of information and not something to uh, get bothered about. I'm simply illustrating classification. Uh, People should stay miles away from these concepts until uh, they're in the hands of someone who can competently assess them. But that's the designation they're given. And this is also the reason why the seventh bhava is not considered, although it's a kendra, it's not considered in the same, same way as that, uh, that corridor that, uh, that I pointed out of 5, 4, uh, 1, and 9, 10, 1. You know that those sides, the right. seventh bhava kind of nestled in there, mm-hmm. doesn't actually achieve quite that same status of auspiciousness. Um, however, it's still active as a kendra. It's very important. Now, there's one other designation that I want to discuss that will pull the eleventh bhava in, and that is that uh, you know we have this lovely expression that hope springs eternal in the human breast. <laughs> <laughs> right. And well, it should, <laughs> mm. uh, because our free will is our greatest remediation, we could say. So in, uh, in um, light of that and to honor that, the sages have told us that there are places in the chart, there are bhavas in the chart that represent sthanas or places where there's growth that can improve over time. And there are four of them. The third bhava the 6th bhava, the 10th bhava, and the 11th bhava. And they're given a name, they're called upachaya. And grahas that are placed there have the characteristic that they may um, start off well and get better, and that would be true of uh, 10 and 11. Why is that? Because they're already positive houses to begin with. So grahas placed there normally do well, 
And if they're not only positive houses to begin with, but they're also upachaya, they start off well and get better. But three and six, we've pointed out, are uh, dustanas. Uh, six is even a trickstana, even harder. But they're upachaya as well. So here, there's a little bit of a different sense. They start off not well. They start off disadvantaged in some way, and some obstacles. And then over time, they also improve. But because they're houses of difficulty, the improvement comes at, with more hard work, we could say, or it could come more uh, sporadically, we could say, or more grudgingly, or more in fits and starts, okay, or with more setbacks. But improve, they, they may well do. And depending on the local environment of the chart, <clears throat> the context, what else is going on in the chart, um, you know, we could give a more accurate uh, rendition of to what extent that will be true for one person versus another. There's a couple of other designations that you might come across that might be good to know. There's designations uh, involving uh, the description of houses that immediately follow the Kendras. So those would be two, which follows the first Baba, uh, five, that follows the fourth, uh, eight, follows the seven, and eleven, which follows the tenth. So those are called succedent following. And uh, it's not that they have any particular, I mean, they do have particular meanings. We don't need to uh, be concerned about them or how uh, grahas operate in them. I'm just giving you more classifications that you might mm -hmm. see in your reading just so that you know what they're saying. Sure. And then we have um, bhavas that are known as a falling away or a poklima or a cadent. And those are the last four. So the third bhava the sixth bhava, the ninth bhava, and the twelfth are known as the apoklima or cadent houses. That, I think, should complete our classifications. And uh, with those classifications, this idea of positive bhavas, um, bhavas that are challenging, bhavas that indicate um, money but are more neutral in the sense that they're not necessarily, you know, huge you know, huge positive energy and power like the Kendras or the Triconas, but there's nothing wrong with them, uh, 2 and 11, a little more neutral. And then the places of suffering, the Dustana, especially the Trikstana, and then the special designations of uh, Upachaya and Madaka. So those become very useful designations in terms of creating um, the plot of the play uh, a little more perfectly. So when we take grahas that have their own sets of meanings and we put them in under the conditions of the set that they have to operate in. So if you put a, a you know, the hero <laughs> in a spooky dark set and tell him to speak out his lines, then that might be very different than if you put the hero out in the bright sunshine um, to strut his stuff. So we can think of the bhavas that way. It's a little simple-minded, but at least as an analogy, it gives us a little bit of a flavor. But we'll find out in future podcasts that not only do they have these designations that render their thematic material more positive, uh, more challenging, they're also stuffed, and I can't even use another word other than stuffed, with all kinds of 
significations and meanings. And so they, in a way, uh, become, uh, along with the grahas, the mainstay uh, uh, of the poet or the playwright's um, creative um, act of translating our uh, prarabdha karma into the storyline of our life.